Oh shit! It's the mailbag. Reform Lamar. Uh, we got a we got a uh, mailbag from Ross in Austin, Texas. Let's reform the PI penalty. That's pass interference instead of a spot foul. A team that commits the PI has to sit the player that committed the foul, and the team has to play with ten players the next play, similar to a power play in hockey. Oh, okay. Yeah, if a if a player on offense commits the penalty, the offense must play with ten players. Fair is fair. What do you guys think? You into this shit? Uh, and in addition, uh, why don't we give a wide receiver a point or something every time a defender pass interferes them, fantasy wise? I don't think I've ever heard anybody doing like a like proposing a power play type situation with a pass interference. And just on first blush, I actually really like it. Uh, I think it's kind of dope. Um, I do think that the game of football probably makes it a much bigger disadvantage than it would be in hockey or soccer or in water polo, like other ga- other games where you see this. Um, but I don't know. I've I, on first blush, I'm kind of into it. What do y'all think? I feel like uh, wide receivers already have the advantage uh, when it comes to pass interference. Like the way the NFL is, it's like dvs get screwed basically uh and this creates a pretty Mm -hmm. strong incentive to try and draw uh those pass interference calls so uh i I don't really like it for the nfl i definitely don't like it for fantasy because just because you got interfered with doesn't mean you're going to catch the ball what are we going to i guess maybe like a tenth of a point per target or something that that could be a compromise but i i I guess one point Definitely not one point, man. One I mean, we've point. been arguing about standard versus PPR scoring for a decade now, and uh, <laughs> not, we can't just be throwing away one extra fantasy point every time a receiver gets a PI on him. Yo, when your guy gets hacked in the end zone, you know he's gonna catch it. He's like a that's like a twelve point play, and then you get zero. They throw you a bone, get one point. I feel that it makes our fake football game even more fake. Well, we're fantasizing. <laughs> no, I'm with Mitch here, and I think for a 15-yard penalty, the receiver should get 1.5 points. Ooh, so, spicy. That's compromise. Swallow that along with your New England hazy double IPA <laughs> tray. No, thank you. Hey, what the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty Fantasy Football. I am your host, Scooby Beck, Angry T, Tarek Benchuia, with me as always, holding it down last week, John Alexander, Yo. Trey Cryan, and Mitch Yates. Yeet. Trey, what's going on, dude? I'm good, man. We, uh, we were lost in the woods without you, but I, I do got to give uh, John a... Uh, Big uh, old pat on the back here. He uh, he did an admirable job stepping in for you. So I think this guy's got a future in radio. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Drunk in the woods. Yeah, John, uh, you did a great job, uh, especially on a really difficult episode, kind of really improvisational leading a mock draft. So well done, John. I am uh, well known as a professional bullshitter. I'm sure most of our listeners have already realized that. Uh, but hey, how was Boston? Man, I was going to Boston. I was coming from Boston. I was on the plane to Boston and from Boston for like eight days straight. It was honestly a trip. I entered a time warp. It's kind of <laughs> kind of fucked up. You didn't text me, dude. 
<laughs> Bitch, how are you, man? I'm just over here listening to the flogging mollies, man. Just kicking it, kicking it in my recording studio. Just thinking about Boston, thinking about you guys. Uh, thinking about Boston, enjoying a nice tall Sam Adams uh, Boston lager. You know it, man. Uh, good to be back, T. John, John, you did all right, man. You did all right. I'll take all right, man. I'll take all right. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys, we got a lot of stuff to get into today. We're going to kick off this first half in a minute here. But uh, just to kind of outlay what we've got planned today, in the first half, we're going to be talking about what I'm calling flashpoint players. And what that is, is essentially, depending on whether you're a contender or rebuilder, these players uh, will probably slide up and down the rankings, kind of depending on your team construction. So we're going to talk about three players in the first half. And then in the second half, we're going to kind of back up, get theoretical again, and talk about our fatal flaws, in which each of us will kind of talk about our biggest faults in Dynasty and how we plan to work at them. So this could be from a strategy perspective, a player analysis perspective, some bias or tendency that you have that kind of hinders your success in Dynasty. So we're going to do a little bit of self-therapy, self-reflection, you know, and hopefully from those introspections, we can help out our audience. All right, but let's kick off this first half. We're going to talk about these contender and rebuilder flashpoint players. And the first player that we're going to talk about is Keenan Allen, who in our overall ranks comes in as wide receiver 15. Keenan is 29 years old. We know he's connected to a super exciting QB who broke all kind of rookie quarterback records last year in 2020. But, you know, he's 29. He's got this dismal 6.7 yards per target last year, which ranked 94th in the league. Mitch, I'm going to push it to you first. How high are you on Keenan Allen if you are a contender? And if you're a rebuilding squad, does it change that much? I mean, I'm like Snoop Dogg over here if I'm contending. I'm high as fuck on Keenan Allen. And if I'm rebuilding, I'm not too worried right now you're not you're not dropping it like it's hot if you're I, a rebuilder uh, no i i'm <laughs> the timely references on this pod man oh we're god. really capturing the cultural <laughs> moment over here <laughs> oh my god anyway uh no i'm i'm not i i'm holding i'm i'm holding you shouldn't be well here's why not trey he's going to be putting up points uh, during this season and he's going to be uh I think his value is going to increase, so I'm at least holding for now if I'm rebuilding. He was wide receiver 14 last year. Like, this offense is looking like it's going to take steps forwards. It's a good team. I said it in the AFC West preview that I think that Keenan Allen has wide receiver one overall potential because he's a freaking target machine. Like, he's sitting up there with, like, 11 targets a game, and uh, Herbie's going to have to lean on somebody, and that guy's not going to be fucking Mike Williams. Uh, just who's it going to be? He's going to give it to Eckler, sure, but he's going to have to lean on Spleen, Spleen and Allen. That that's his uh, that's his nickname because you know he hurt his what kidney. Same thing, right? Yeah, Spleen kidney. Why do you think his value is going to go up this year? Because he's twenty nine. Uh, next year he's going to be thirty. So it's almost like even if he is the overall wide receiver one this year, it seems like a guarantee his value is going to go down because he's going to hit the thirty year old mark. That's that's fine, but again, who who else is there to take that away from him right now? I don't think any of these guys are going to be taking targets away from Keenan Allen, and I don't really care about that six point seven if he's putting up wide receiver fourteen on a rookie quarterback. Like yeah. if we're okay, if we're gonna say that Herbert's gonna improve, he's gonna 
he's going to be having to throw the ball to somebody, and this is the guy that he's going to be giving it to. Right, but look at last year. I mean, there wasn't really anybody else either except for Keenan Allen, and he was, like you said, he was he came in as like a low-end one, high-end two. And um, I mean, you're right, like in terms of volume, he does project to be top three or four in terms of receptions. But because of that, you know, short uh, A dot, that short yards per target that Tarek mentioned, I mean, he only comes out as like number six in PPR scoring at 60.5 points per game. So, you know, there's other guys with more touchdown upside, more efficiency that would come out a little bit higher. And uh, he's actually really dependent on the uh, the format you're playing, too. If you're in half PPR, he drops down to nine in points per game. So it, it really does depend on the format you're in. So, I mean, I do agree that for a contender, he's definitely a top 10 option, like no doubt. But for a rebuilder, I mean, for a guy that's only going to project to play for three more years tops, uh I would drop him down into like the wide receiver two range. And I prefer some of the younger guys like Bateman or Chenault. If I could get uh, one of those guys plus a piece for Allen, I would definitely jump on that as a rebuilder. Interesting. John, let me throw it to you because you and I have a little bit of recent history when it comes to Keenan Allen in the TLG show league. I recently traded you Keenan Allen uh, in exchange for your first round pick and a third round pick. So I'm a rebuilder, you're a contender. So this it kind of shook out for us that way. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think Trey's absolutely correct. If you're a contender, he's top 10 this year. Easy, 150 targets last year on 14 games. If he's healthy this year, uh, he's guaranteed uh, top 10 uh, wide receiver one kind of finish this year. So that's where I'm at. But uh, he, he, he's kind of a weird case. Uh, I, I think that if you are a rebuilder, you probably do want to sell him. Um, as Trey mentioned, he's going to hit 30 and, I, but part of it, I think people probably think he's older than he actually is. Cause he's bald. He just kind of looks like an old man. So <laughs> part of his price might already be that age might already be baked in there. But, uh, you, you might remember at the start of last season, he started off really hot. I think he was wide receiver two overall. And then he kind of dropped off for a few weeks and he picked it up again. So normally I would advocate to, you know, wait a few weeks uh, to sell him, uh, let something like that happen. But he has a chance to like win you some games. So if you're rebuilding, it's like you kind of need to get rid of him. So I think I, right. I think I'm on the other side of what a uh, backward. You're saying like you want to tank so hard that you want to make sure you lose. So just in case he performs well early on, you want to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, that, isn't that part of rebuilding? Like, just to get the better draft pick? Isn't that, like, part of the game? I mean, his value's going to go up while he's putting up those numbers, though. That's why I'm a hold. And that's why I said it's a it's a tough call, because I think you're right. I think he is going to have an excellent season. But I, it's hard for me to see his value going up if we are already thinking he's top 10 for a contending team. Now, I guess maybe what you wait for is wait for that to shake out. Maybe there's a team who thinks they're a contender, um, they just need that one more piece, and then maybe you get more value that way. So I think that's always a good strategy. So I can see that side of the argument as well. It's just the recency bias, right? We've been so far away from football that sometimes we need a reminder. Sometimes we need Keenan Allen to go in there and put up a couple double-digit 20-point um, games to to be reminded that, like, oh, oh, right, this guy could actually help me win a championship. And that's when you flip him, or that's when you're like, oh, right, uh, Keenan Allen's going to help me win this year. Okay, so so I think that's more of a question of timing than anything, yeah. right? Because it's not about whether I sell him now. It's about whether I try to sell him after week three or four once he's proven that he is the top 10 receiver that we all think he is. And then you try to move him to that contender. I think that's what, where, where you had a disconnect because that is definitely when his value is going to be the highest. And at the end of the season, 
uh, when he is, you know, going to be projecting to go into his 30 year old season. Yeah, it's tank. I mean, he's not going to it's going to be lower than it is now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually ag- agree with all parties here. Um, I think we do have to recognize that there is risk. If you wait to sell him into the season, he could always get hurt and then his value tanks a lot. But that can happen with any player. But yeah, I mean, that perceived value dip when that age 30 happens, when the calendar flips over uh, is significant. You know, uh, we we do not like seeing that number three uh in when when it comes to dynasty receivers all right guys let's move on to this second player our second contender slash rebuilder flashpoint player and we're going on the other side here that's javante williams running back for the denver broncos who is currently running back 16 in our overall rankings He's a rookie from North Carolina, second round pick. We all know that the Denver Broncos traded up ahead of the Miami Dolphins to nab him. He leads this rookie class in yards created per attempt. So that's Graham Barfield's stat, really predictive stat for running backs. You know, there's drum beats out there from The Athletic recently in the last week or so that Melvin Gordon is like the clear-cut starter, right? But all the drum beats before that were like, it's it's a matter of when, not if, when Javante Williams is going to take over. So, John, how do we kind of parse those things out? And how far does he slide up if you're a rebuilder versus a contender? I think it's a great question. If If I'm contending, I think right now the conservative thing to do is assume that Melvin is the guy. Now, I believe that talent's going to win out, uh, but they've got Melvin for this year and then his contract's done. So I think that they've got a lot of incentive to run Melvin Gordon the ground. That's probably what they're going to do now. That's a good point. Now, whenever that happens, whenever he gets run into the ground, quote unquote, uh, I don't know, like it could be week three. And then it's like, okay, Javante's contender rankings way up there. But for now, I've got him pretty low. I think I'd probably, if like in a redraft right now, I'd probably take him like maybe sixth or seventh round, kind of middle of the pack there. But in terms of, Rebuilding, this is a priority guy for me in rebuild. I, I think arguably uh, for 2022, not this season, but next, he it would be the RB1 from this class. So if we take a look at PFF's uh, offensive line rankings, the Denver Broncos are kind of middle of the pack here at 21. At 23, just behind them are the Jaguars, where ETN is. And then at the bottom of the list, almost 31, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think you can make a really strong argument that Javante Williams ended up in the best situation of the 2021 running backs for 2022. If I'm a rebuilder, I've got Javante circled. He's the guy I want. Now, a bunch of people just drafted him and you're not getting him right now. So what I'm waiting for is for Melvin Gordon to have a couple of good games, show he's the guy. And it's like, oh man, Javante's not doing anything. And maybe if there's a little dip, then yeah, I'm 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 doing what I need to do. He's my RB1 for 2022 and I'm going to pay the price to get him because I think he's going to be that good for the next three years, 2022, 23 and 24. Uh, so uh, I don't know if he's number one overall in my uh, rebuilding rankings, but he's pretty dang close right now. So yeah, not number one for me. I see Mitch shaking his head. I think he agrees with me there. I I, I was pretty firm on Najee Harris and Travis Etienne as my 1A and my 1B and uh, definitely had Javante in that top three tier, but as my number three guy for a reason. And that's just because he doesn't have that pass catching upside that those other two guys do. Now that's not to say he can't do it, just that he was used in that two down role in college. And that's, you know, we'll see how he's used in the pros. We won't know until we see it on the field, but 
I mean, you, you put a lot in there, uh, John. I guess the only other thing I would kind of try to tie Javante to is look at the season that uh, Dobbins had last year, right? Like he kind of came in behind Mark Ingram. We knew he was going to be buried in a good situation and eventually he was going to take over. So I think we are going to see Melvin Gordon come in as the starter. I think we're going to see Javante's value take a hit by midseason. And I, I think that's the cheapest his value is ever going to get, like week five, week six this year. Yep. And that's the time to go out and get him if you don't have him already. Yep, definitely. And I've been shaking my head for actually a different reason because, well, Trey, I'll piggyback off that. I completely agree with that. That's exactly where I was going with uh, with Williams and um, Melvin's carries because we've seen Melvin Gordon perform really, really well with limited carries. Yeah. Uh, we saw him perform extremely well in uh, 2018. That's when he put up his best statistical season. Uh, and he was getting like six carries a game at, at operating as the receiving back. So... Really, that when I look at the situation here, if the, John, the reason I was shaking my head is because if you really think that he's that good, because I do too, why do you think it's going to happen next year? I think that this year, uh, there are m- many parts of the season, but uh, Javante Williams is a guy that I want late in the season. He's a guy that I think could help me win a championship this year because I think that he will start to get those bell cow reps at the end of the year. So... Yeah, I if I'm a contender, I'm I'm circling him. If I'm a rebuilder, I'm circling him. This is just a guy that is going to be important to either sort of philosophy here in my opinion. And and John, I know he kind of ar- addressed you directly, but I also want to reference something really quickly. I think it's really important to delineate between contender rankings and redraft rankings, right? Mm-hmm. Because People often say, okay, basically, if you're a contender in Dynasty, you can just use redraft rankings. And I and I think that's absurd, right? And I think that's why you kind of have to delineate being a contender who is also interested in building a sustainable, young Dynasty team. <laughs> playing the long game. <laughs> right, playing the long game. Exactly, right? So I just wanted to like make that delineation. I mean... Sure. Hopefully one day we're going to have contender and rebuilder ranks. <coughs> uh, yeah, uh, perhaps. Uh, excuse me, coming soon. But John, uh, I'll, I'll give you some time to respond to what Mitch was saying. Uh, my only comment was, if I'm a con- contender, do I want to bank on the idea that Javante is going to be playing at the end of the year? He's going to be that guy when there are other guys that I could perhaps get for cheaper, like maybe a Chris Carson or something like that. Someone I know who's already guaranteed to be the starting running back for his offense, who, you know, has this association with him where you can probably get him cheaper. It's like the hype is real about Javante. So you're going to have to pay the price to get him. And do you want to take that chance and pay that price with no guarantee? And my answer is yes. And we're going to get into my fatal flaws later. But my answer is yes, because I want the guy, because I'm operating under that premise that he is going to be that guy later in the season. So I have to continue to believe that. And I have to trust my philosophy that that's that's the kind of player that he's going to be. And Carson, I trust, is going to be definitely the starter at the beginning of the year. But he's also got a proven track record of getting hurt. So I don't look at him as a guy that I'm definitely going to be able to count on towards the end of the year as where I look at Javante Williams as that guy. Yeah, Mitch, and it's not even necessarily like your philosophy exclusively. I think there's more data out now to kind of show that 
you know, contrary to maybe what we believed in the past with rookies where, you know, they tend to wear down in their rookie year and because they're hitting like the rookie wall or whatever, right? Once they've hit that week 14, week 15, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like more and more teams, we saw this last year, kind of bringing these rookies along yeah, uh, a little bit slower to start the season than giving them the reins at the end of the year. So we're yeah. actually, I think this is something that's showing up in best ball and redraft now where rookies actually gain value over the course of the rookie year, especially a guy like Javante Williams with his profile. And John brought that up about Jonathan Taylor too. Yeah, Taylor's another great example. Mm-hmm. Taylor and Dobbins, we saw that with both of them last year for sure. Right, yeah, the rookie wall is definitely increasingly becoming a fantasy. Thing of the past. Um, Rashad Bateman is the third, uh, player that we're going to talk about in terms of these flashpoint players. So currently Rashad Bateman is wide receiver 30 in our overall rankings. He's an elite prospect that went to a perceived bad situation. And now that perception is because the narrative is that Baltimore, you know, they don't throw the ball a lot, but the counter narrative is that They want to throw the ball more. Lamar Jackson has said he wants to throw the ball more. And maybe having a true alpha in the offense like Rashad Bateman would open the field up. Trey, you are the highest on Bateman in our ranks. You have been high on him throughout the process since we launched the podcast, before we launched the podcast. But let me ask you this. How far does he climb in your rankings if you are a rebuilder? Top 15? Yeah, I think top 15 is right, actually. I think it is uh, kind of that high-end wide receiver two range because, uh, I mean, just looking at his rookie profile, he is just an insane wide receiver prospect, and he's great value right now in startup drafts. I think we're all going to be kind of kicking ourselves uh, for passing on him a year from now and looking at him the same way we look at guys like A.J. Brown now, who we did fade in the same situation. But I mean, we fade him for a reason, because if you look at 2021, uh, he does not project to be a difference maker at the receiver position. He projects to be a guy who's going to fall down in that wide receiver four range. And, you know, fantasy pros who does projections has him below guys like Nelson Aguilar and Christian Kirk, which uh, just goes to show that there's really not that much volume to go around in Baltimore based on what we've seen the last few years. So, is that their dynasty rankings? No, 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 no. This is 2021 projections. Oh, good good so, God, thank you. So the hit chance on that appears like it's kind of low, but I think the upside is super high. So I get why a contender wouldn't want Bateman as a starting piece in their roster in 2021, but you should definitely look at him as a long-term developmental guy and a priority add for a rebuilder. Right. And if we're if we're looking, I mean, kind of like vanilla at the way that dynasty leagues work, right? If you're a contender, then you likely had a late first round pick. I know, you know, picks move around yeah, a picks lot, get but traded. There, there's a lot of contenders that have Rashad Bateman on their bench right now. And that's a great place to be. Uh, Mitch, what do you think? I, I think that the expectation should be tempered this year, but at the same time, they invested a lot in him and I think we're going to see him get involved in that offense right off the bat. And with uh, Hollywood, uh, what, he's hurt right now? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Right. Perfect. So, like, Shoddy B and uh, Mark Andrews are going to be the two guys I'm I'm guessing are going to be catching passes off the bat. So I'm not even sure if he's a a weight and bench candidate because we've seen it. We've heard the hype, but... Yeah, if you have him, if he's your wide receiver four or five, that's that's beautiful. Um, yeah, I, right. it really is. 
I mean, going through the rookie process, I saw his upside as high as guys like Keenan Allen, who we already talked about, and Stephon Diggs. You know, those were sort of the comps that kept getting. Those are two guys that Matt Harmon loves to compare with Sean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, thinking about a rebuilder, I think he's more important to a rebuilder than a 29 year old like, you know, D hop or, or Adams. So John, the reason I actually wanted to include Rashad Bateman in this segment was a little bit selfish because I started thinking about like, who would the biggest movers for me be right? Cause he's my wide receiver 32 right now in my overall ranks. And that probably needs to be bumped up. And I was like, if I were to do rebuilder ranks, I think he would be in my top 15. That's why I asked Trey that question. So like, does he move that much for you if you're a rebuilder? Well, I think I've said it on the show once or twice. I want one wide receiver from uh, the Ravens. And I, I think he's going to be that one wide receiver. He is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, and if that's the case, then yeah, I want him. So here's what I'm doing if I'm rebuilding. I'm waiting until week one if he's not on my squad. Because like you said, he's on, probably on a lot of contending squads. I'm waiting until week one. I'm waiting for Sammy Watkins to score seven touchdowns in week one. And yeah. then and then I'm going and I'm getting Rashad Bateman, knowing full well that for the next 16 weeks is going to be Rashad Bateman and Sammy Watkins is going to, I don't know, be somewhere else. But uh, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to put him top 15 yet because I liked a lot of other guys from this rookie class. But I think mm-hmm. if he is a wide receiver one in that offense, he's got a lot of potential to be uh, a, an important piece like as a flex play on a contending team this year. Yeah, even this year. Interesting. All right, Mike check. It is halftime. We're back. All right. So speaking of halftime, I mean, last week I wasn't here and you guys kind of were like, oh, maybe Tarek should choose. Maybe Twitter should choose. So this is what happened between the hippo dolphin and grizzly bear debate. So Twitter had a tie between grizzly bear and dolphin, right? So John lost out on Twitter. Yep. And then I wanted to choose Trey because of the beautiful imagery that he brought <laughs> that hearkened back to a previous episode. I thought that was just great. So since Mitch and Trey tied on Twitter and Trey won in my heart, I think the only thing that is fair is to award the point to John. <laughs> especially hey. because Yes, uh. especially because John hates him some halftime points. So congratulations, John. I think that's my fourth point or something. That's crazy. I think it would have been more fair if Tarek just gave the point to himself. I'm going to give the point. I don't want the point. I'm going to give it oh, to Oh, I'm getting another bequeath. Oh, I am bequeathing you your second point. Congratulations. I'm denying sir. it. I'm denying Oof. it, John. You're keeping it. All right. So the halftime <laughs> question, the halftime question this week is if you had to make or join a fantasy league out of any Olympic sport, right? We're in Tokyo right now. It's 2020 in Tokyo, even though it's 2021 here. It's very confusing. They're in the future. (laughs) They are the future and the past. But if you had to make a fantasy league out of any Olympic sport, which sport would you choose? And I am going to start with Mizzo, Mitch Yates. Oh, what's up? Uh, So have you guys seen this handball shit? You guys seen this? I have. You got your hand on the ball? It's It's a big deal in the Middle East. Yeah, this this shit is incredible. Like, first of all, these guys look like European soccer players. They like the second they score a goal, they're running around doing the airplane, acting like this is their, uh, I don't know, World Cup. And then you realize, oh yeah, this is their World Cup. Uh, this, yeah, literally is. <laughs> this this sport is awesome. It's like a, a hybrid between like lacrosse, hockey, soccer, basketball. They're beating the shit out of each other. 
And like, yeah, if I if I could get more of this somehow, if I could get access to this, if I could start picking up players who are uh, scoring points for knocking other players on their ass and throwing the ball into the back of the net. Yeah, that's a fantasy sport I'd like to be a part of. This shit is awesome. Sign me up. All right. Handball from Mitch. Trey, what you got? All right. So I was thinking about this and uh, Olympic sports are tough because I feel like a lot of them are pretty predictable. You know, like you kind of know what guys are capable of or or ladies are capable of, uh, you know, looking at their trials and, you know, qualifying and all that. So I was looking for a sport with a little bit more randomness. So I do like Mitch's handball idea because, you know, there's definitely a lot of ways that ball could bounce as it's being thrown around between those uh, those sweaty athletes. But uh, even more random than that would be water polo, which is essentially handball, but played in a pool. So the ball's even slipperier. <laughs> Fuck that, dude. <laughs> it's even slipperier. You know, you got it splashing around everywhere. And, uh, you know, I was I really was inspired last night by the U.S. beating up on uh, Canada when I was watching this game at the bar. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with uh, water polo and, uh, you know, I'll draft a, uh, a dynasty winner from uh, the U.S. team. <laughs> I love it. I've watched so much water polo over the last couple of weeks. It's insane. All right, John, water polo and handball. You got something better? You guys are just a little too human centric here, I think. So (laughs) I'm thinking we need to stick with this idea of animals. So I'm going to go with dressage. And here are my (laughs) here's my list of argument for dressage. There are already lots of points like it is there. It ranges from like zero to two thousand. So there's lots of value there for fantasy, lots of ways to score different points. And fuck me, it's it's horses dancing, guys. Come on. (laughs) Fancy horse dancing. Fancy horse dancing. Yeah, like it's literally a horse show. And who doesn't like a good horse show? Oh, yeah. John wins. Uh, no, no, I don't even have to think about it. Fancy horse des- dancing. It was a good day. I can't even say that without even stuttering, but <laughs> congrats. Fancy John. horse dancing. And also, yeah, he made a really good point about the fact that it's already like very quantifiable in terms of points. So that's great for fantasy, no, right? But I didn't say anything about how it's highly subjective, how the points are awarded, but that doesn't really matter for fantasy. That's how, that's how our halftime works. It's perfect. Exactly. It's exactly like halftime. So John has something like 8,000 points now in halftime. No, I'm up to four now. Jesus. Okay. Good job, John. All right. He's creeping up on you, uh, Trey and Mish. Yeah. Just like my fantasy teams, I'm starting out strong and I'm fading by playoffs. (laughs) Speaking of which, we are going to get into our second half here which talks about our fatal flaws in Dynasty, right? So each of us are going to give you a fatal flaw that we're trying to work on, you know? We're trying to get better. We're trying to be better Dynasty players every day, you know? Just because we have a podcast doesn't mean we're that great at it, you know? It just means we're nerds, okay? Yeah, Mitch. So I'm going to go ahead and start. I'm going to give my fatal flaw first, all right? I'm going to be vulnerable here. So my fatal flaw is that I tend to incorporate market value into my ranks to like a harmful degree. And maybe this is a little idiosyncratic, but I think the insight gained will be helpful generally. Now, let me just admit, Mitch has called me out on this before, and we've argued about it a lot in group chats. A lot. But... We argued, and I didn't really understand it for myself, like what he was accusing me of until recently. So here's how it goes. When I construct my rankings, I like to set them up to where I can confidently say 
whether to myself or to somebody else, that I would trade my running back 25 for my running back 21, for instance, right? And that seems simple enough, but what that leads to is kind of a subconscious baking in of perceived market value into my player opinions. So I'll be hesitant to rank one player over another, like for instance, Travis Etienne over Aaron Jones. If I think that I can get more for Jones on the open market than I can for Travis Etienne, even though like in Dynasty, if I really am honest with myself, I'm probably higher on Travis Etienne than I am in Aaron Jones, at least in the long term, right? This is harmful because it leads to kind of hedging in your rankings, which it mitigates risk, like it's good for mitigating risk, but it limits reward. And in Dynasty, ultimately, you want to win, right? And you want to win big. So winning championships is better than winning trades, right? And you can't do that by hedging every decision. So I've been trying in my rankings and kind of, you know, in my personal life, guys, I've been trying to take clearer stands on players that have that reflected in my rankings, right? I, I This has been helping me kind of figure out what kind of dynasty player I am, the kinds of players I like to target, and it's pushing me in, into more confident directions. So making aggressive bets on guys like DeAndre Swift, CeeDee Lamb, Rashad Bateman, et cetera. That's what it's helping me do. But what do y'all think, Trey? Yeah, Tarek, I think, uh, it, I mean, this is a good thing to reflect on for sure. And, uh, you know, not every dynasty player out there goes through the ranking exercise like we have, but I mean, it's definitely been a challenging thing to do because you do have to kind of decide, well, are these actually actionable rankings or are these just, you know, based on how I think guys are going to perform in, you know, this season and the following seasons after that. So the way I kind of, uh, approach rankings personally is I am only looking at it in terms of what I think are going to be points in lineups. So if there is a discrepancy between say, I've got ETN way higher than Aaron Jones, because I think he's such a more valuable longer term asset. It doesn't mean I would necessarily recommend trading Aaron Jones for ETN straight up. You know, I would try to look at, you know, what pieces do I need to add to make that a fair trade based on whatever the perceived value is. So that kind of helps me close the gap, but I can get where you're coming from, where you don't want to let the market value influence what your rankings are uh, to too uh, significant a degree. Yeah, Mitch, and I'm going to throw it to you because like, you know, obviously I appreciate how our arguments and conversations have kind of brought me to this place where I understand like how the market value influences my rankings. And I don't think it's necessarily a totally bad thing, but what, what do you think about this this fatal flaw that I've articulated? Well, and I'll get into my end because I'm pretty much on the opposite end of things. But, uh, you know, I agree with you. You have to pay attention to the market and whether to that degree you're paying attention to it so much that it's affecting all of your trading and whatnot. You know, that you've proven that it has been a successful method. So, like, I, I understand where you're coming from. It is... It is a flaw to some degree, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's also been a strength of yours as well. Right. The other side is I'm usually very in tune with what a player's perceived value is, right? Um, but it, it just it makes it difficult for me to have clearer stands. John, what do you think about this? Uh, it's some interesting insights here, but I think it gets to the larger question uh, for our audience of what are rankings for? Are you using them for startups? Are you using them for trades? are using them simply as a tool to help identify holes in your roster. 
And I think you need to make that decision before you make your rankings, because presumably you could have a different set of rankings depending on the situation. Definitely. Um, and so I think the bigger point that I'm taking from all of this is that context matters. And what are you using these rankings for? And that's going to guide you through the process of making those rankings. And I don't think I realized that until we were just talking about it right now. Right. And I think that's been the point that Tarek's been trying to to push me on is that I've been like banging the table for different sets of rankings because I think context is so important for these rankings. And that's why we're talking about how uh, these players switch uh, their rankings when you're a contender or a rebuilder. So w without context, um, these rankings are almost arbitrary, except for when you realize that like they they do matter. We're splitting hairs, but that's what we're doing here. Yeah. Okay. So that is my fatal flaw that I feel like I bake market value into my ranks. Um, and I'm trying to work on it, trying to take clearer stands. Let's move on to Mitch. What what is the fatal flaw that you have extracted from this exercise? Well, you know, I I searched deep inside my soul here, and I realized that like kicking so much ass, it just isn't easy. Like, I think I, I got to take a step <laughs> off my pedestal and be modest here. I think my biggest flaw is just being so fucking good at this game that people don't want me in their leagues. Like, I, I can't find any people that even want to play this game. I personally kicked you out of one league that, yeah, recently. I, I'm telling you, man. Like, it's it's been a lot of tough sledding for me. So I don't really have anything else to say. No. Uh, <clears throat> no, for real. <laughs> uh, it's uh, the classic interview question. What What would you say is your biggest weakness? fucking amazing and uh, i just no. try too hard <laughs> no but for real um i'm not the best at trading and that's been one of these things that like i i've had a lot of difficult long time to grapple with this it makes me feel bad because i don't like being bad at things and maybe that has to do with my my stupid idiot impulsive uh nature but it goes back to the old days i remember trading tom brady for willis mcgahee you know, to pair with Sean Alexander just so I could miss the playoffs and Bill could win the championship, you know? Like, there are some bad Bill. trades. There are some bad trades that, like, have haunted my dreams. And when it comes down to it, like, I I love players and I hate players. And I'm pretty far apart from the market at times. And I'm not often neutral. I don't like to hedge, which has caused me championships in the past, but it has also caused me to be very, very bad. And as where Tarek just mentioned, like... I like to win the trade, and that's actually made me worse at trading because I try to just squeeze as much value as I possibly can. Even if I have a good trade on the table, I'm I'm always thinking, I could probably get more. And then that, that kind of shuts the doors. And then on the on the flip side of that, like sometimes I'll lowball the living fuck out of a guy because I happen to value that guy not very much, but I, I'm like, you know, maybe I'll throw something in there. And this guy never wants to talk to me again, and I don't blame him. And so, like, you kind of got to, to take a step back and realize that it's not about winning the trade. I'm trying to correct this. I'm trying to, like, improve my trade relations. But by doing that, you have to pay attention to the market as well. Just because you disagree with the market doesn't mean that the market isn't there. And you have to really pay attention to what the other players are looking for. And my flip flip side of this is that I'm also willing to overpay for my guy. So I've preached go get your guy, but mm -hmm. I, right. I'm not I'm not going to preach overpay for your guy because I've learned some lessons from that. Like I have infamously overpaid for DJ Moore. I'm here. You know what? My name is Mitch. And uh, I uh, 
<laughs> I admit that I am uh, that guilty of overvaluing DJ Moore, and I paid, I overpaid for him in our home league. And sometimes, like that bravado that I have so many draft picks, I don't give a fuck. I'm getting my guy. Like I'm paying the price because I think he's going to be good. That's the kind of stuff that I need to stop doing. And like upon the self reflection here, your guy is not that important, and joining other leagues is sort of made that easier on me because I have shares of that guy in other leagues, so I don't need him right. in every league. And I've taken a big step back on that. And so I guess what I'm working on now is paying attention to the market, using that so I don't get gaslighted for my different rankings. And mm-hmm. I don't know, accepting that a uh, even that a player, even if a player is not very good, he's going to still have some value that I can flip later. Yeah. And one, I appreciate that it's kind of the inverse of what I just said. Like you're not paying attention to the market enough and I'm paying attention to the market too much. I I love how that fits together. I appreciate that you also said that joining more teams has helped, right? Because when you're in one home league and you're in love with DJ Moore, like me, you're in love with CeeDee Lamb. Mm -hmm. You're... That's what you're I did. You're gonna overpay. I went gone, did yeah, it? Yeah, overpay the living shit out of him. So, uh, but I appreciate that, Trey, John. Uh, what do y'all think about this insight? What Mitch made me think about was, and something I think would be actionable for our listeners is consistent process. Right? We're gonna make trades. We're gonna try and evaluate guys. We're gonna we're gonna have guys we fall in love with, and we're gonna we're gonna hit on some of those, and we're gonna miss, and that's okay because that's fantasy football. Um, but you need to find a consistent process that works for you, a consistent way that you evaluate players and evaluate trades. And uh, as long as you're consistent and the process is good, you don't, you don't really control the outcome. And I think that's what Mitch is trying to harp on here is that he's trying to find that consistent process. And I can respect that because I've been known to get drunk and make a bad trade too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe more than one. Uh, but if you can find a consistent process, I think eventually the odds will be in your pr- favor as long as the process is good. Trey, look, you're you're not playing Dynasty if you don't drink a couple New England double <laughs> IPAs and make a couple of trades, right? Well, look, man, I mean, uh, you know, you don't end up with Robert Woods on your team instead of Rashad Bateman without, uh, <laughs> you know, spend a little bit of time at the bar that night. But uh like, <laughs> I, I like what John said about consistent process. I think that's really important. Um I, I appreciate where Mitch is coming from too. I mean, it's it's tough to see a trade offer and think, okay, yeah, I would take this, but I could definitely get like another third right now if I just asked for it and, and really push in on guys when you don't actually have to, you know? So I, I admit that I'm guilty of that too, for sure. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if you do bring that consistent process, like John is saying, you're going to win some trades, you're going to lose some trades. It's just important that you win slightly more often than you lose right right john dynasty players anonymous man what is your fatal flaw oh man i didn't when you guys texted me to bring my floaties today i was like what the fuck (laughs) i didn't realize we were going off the deep end today guys we're going deep (laughs) this is good i love it no i i i've been trying to sprinkle in little factoids about myself in these episodes here uh, um, my, our listeners might not might not know oh here he goes <laughs> i was an economics minor in college uh, i've enjoyed economics and that's what's really when he tra- was in boston when yeah. I, boston is that how he became a math teacher uh my 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 major was math actually so your uh, minor yeah, was at harvard he's <laughs> actually matt damon in goodwill Hunting. he actually he actually minored in basketball which is why he's so great at playing <laughs> tight end <laughs> Right. Yeah. That was that was MIT, Tarek. That wasn't Harvard. 
they're all the same. Whatever. <laughs> what I'm wicked smart. <laughs> no, I. Uh, so my what what's drawn me to Dynasty over the years is um, the economics of it, and I've kind of come to it from a mathematician economic standpoint. What I've always been interested in is the value, like building a roster that maximizes value. And that's what I tend to do. I look at it in terms of my starters plus my bench. I try to maximize that value, which often leads to my teams having the best depth in the league, but like a middle of the road set of starters. And that's what I found across all of my leagues, basically. It's like, yeah, I think I've probably got one of the best teams in the league, but I'm often like fifth or sixth in terms of contenders. Um, I really do trust my ability to identify players that are going to increase in value on dynasty and the dynasty market over a given period of time and so i go out and get them um i've been right more often than i've been wrong like 51 percent, i'd say so i've been successful at increasing my dynasty portfolios um which is nice it's a good strategy because it allows me to go be fluid i've got some values laying around and i can have the ammo to go make some trades pull uh pull some trades off get the guys i want but the problem is uh one of the pitfalls anyway is that I often have less running backs on my roster um, than I need because they tend to lose value more quickly. And I probably roster too many tight ends as well uh, because they often gain value, uh, especially the young ones, if only marginally over time. That's interesting. So what I think what I need to do um, in my dynasty life is to improve upon switching from that dynasty mindset to a contender mindset, what we were talking about earlier in season and it's really hard for me uh, i'm not like Tarek. i i kind of get emotionally attached to these guys uh you know you build up this roster this is your team you built it over time and so you're proud of what you've done and you want to win with that roster but you really do have to be willing to make big moves before the trade trade deadline to give yourself that chance to win a championship you know like those classic two for ones that give you the positional upgrade but you lose a future asset for instance uh, so things that I'm trying to remind myself for the future, the things that I'm trying to get better at is, and I think we, we've already said it a couple of times today, is you really can't overpay for a championship. That's why we're here. We're here to win championships. So if I have to sacrifice some of my dynasty value, if I have to lose a trade to incre increase my odds of winning the league, that's what I'm trying to do more. Um, so I think Mitch already said it. I'm trying to win championships, not trades. And that's what I'm trying to get better at. Um, I haven't done it yet because Tarek keeps winning all the championships, though. I actually think we all said that. I, I think that that's one of those things that yeah. we ha all feel like we we need to actually take a beat and realize that it's more it's more than just that trade. Like it's the right. it's the bigger picture. It's the the longer something. The longer something. Yeah, yeah I don't I, I don't fucking know. No, I mean John, I I love that man. It, it's super insightful. Um, I think. Like the way you were talking about it, it made me think about like index funds versus like really hyper aggressive stock portfolios or something. It's like you're you're really good at, you know, investing in those index funds, mm -hmm. right? Slow, steady yep. growth. But when it comes time to like, yo, take a big bite out of Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> so that you can win the championship. No, I, I love it. It's super insightful. Um, So I, I, I think like. Yeah, it's important to kind of make those moves at specific times in order to move from just like a steadily, you know, inclining roster into contender. Because the thing about Dynasty is you can build a Dynasty slowly over time. But in the meantime, there's going to be guys in your league that are leveraging everything yeah. to mm -hmm. become right. the contender, yes. right? They're paying three, four firsts to get Dalvin Cook, Saquon Barkley on their roster, right? So you have to combat that right. sometimes. Right. Because you don't want to get third place every year. Just call it a day. Right. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, John, to your point, I think there is a, um, it's, it's a difference, right? Like you can't just like, you know, raise the entire value of your team. It's, you got to have that asymmetric upside, right? So you got to have like a lot of value, a lot of top end value packed into your starting roster. Right. If you really want to be a contender. And, um, so I appreciate that perspective because that's something I picked up too over this, uh, this off season really is, uh, thinking more about that asymmetric upside and that risk profile and, and going after players that fit that a little bit more and, and chasing upside versus median outcome, you know, because median outcome gets you a first round playoff exit and upside gets you championships. Yeah. All right, Trey. Well, speaking of things that you've picked up over the off season, I want you, you know, to get a little bit therapeutic, a little bit psychoanalytic with me here, man. What is your fatal flaw? Yeah, so this is actually going to end up being really similar to John here, but I'm, I'm just looking back over my experience in our home league over our first couple of years, and I found out that I really didn't do enough to address what were like pretty big holes on my roster. And um, so, for example, I mean, like year one and two in this league, I definitely had a championship window. I mean, I, I won a lot of high points uh, week to week in year one specifically. And I really ended up closing the door on myself by not reacting quickly enough to kind of several key injuries that happened right before the playoffs. So I really could have done a better job of either building up depth during the season or going after more elite options prior to the trade deadline and really just didn't adjust and react to, you know, a bad situation that sort of developed toward the end of the season. So you know, going into year two, I did make a few big trades that offseason. I was able to bring uh, Josh Jacobs and Allen Robinson onto the roster, but I didn't really do enough to fill all the meaningful gaps in that roster. And that would kind of prevent me from ultimately being a playoff contender. I had big holes at, at quarterback and tight end going into that year. And since it was, it was a one QB league, you know, I thought I could kind of live with that. And it turns out I really couldn't, you know? So, um, I mean, ultimately going into our third year, uh, that just came back to bite me because there was just two big injuries and my best two players were hurt. And I just clearly was not contending and had to start the rebuild, which is where I'm at now. So I was thinking on like, why didn't I address these issues when I had the opportunity? And I think part of the reason is I just convinced myself that it wasn't really a problem. You know, I believed that I could still contend uh, when I couldn't, like I actually thought I could go into a season with two or three replacement level players as starters on these rosters. And you, you guys have heard me say that the last couple of weeks, like you're not going to contend with Tyler Boyd as your wide receiver three. Like that's your replacement level players are not enough to get it done uh, for a contending roster. So, you know, I, I think I've kind of overcome that. But the other thing that I think was a problem for me was. I just really didn't have enough value to make trades or make big moves either because I had kind of given up all of my future value in trades. And when all my short-term value was injured, I was kind of left, you know, uh, shit out of luck. So, uh, you know, kind of thinking on that experience, those first few years in the home league and joining a bunch of new leagues this off season, I think it's just really important to have a, an honest and accurate assessment of your roster and really, you know, be thoughtful about that self-reflection. And you really can't be too slow or hesitate to start the rebuild or start re retooling when you need to. But at the same time, to John's point, if you find yourself in an opportunity to make a playoff run, you absolutely cannot pass up on that opportunity to go all in, put your chips on the table and really make a meaningful push to get that championship. 
Yeah, and win some money. I mean, like right, right. I yeah, I I, I like this, and I like how it fits with John too, um, because it's it's all about proper reaction time, right? I mean, we talk about in the off season, especially like January, February, March, we always talk about just building value, building value, not necessarily worrying about holes on the roster, right? But when it's November, you better fix those fucking holes on <laughs> your right. roster, right? Yeah, or, exactly. or you better start rebuilding, or right? You better push farm. all your chips in, get that tight end, get that quarterback, get that wide receiver three, or pack it in, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's exactly it. It's you can't really have obvious holes at multiple positions. I mean, maybe you can get it done with like a replacement level flex player, but uh, for a contending roster, it really has to be a top tier option across the board to get it done. Trey, one of the things you said there that I think would be good for our audience to think about is that timeline and paying attention to different parts of the season. Like we talked about the difference between November versus the off season. So don't fall asleep at the wheel. Uh, there are critical deadlines like your trade deadline, um, and you need to be aware of it. You need to get a- ahead of that so that you're looking at your you're looking at your roster and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm five and one. I wasn't expecting that. Now is that a real five and one or is it a fake five and one? So like Trey said, you know, be honest with yourself so you can make those moves if you're actually going to contend. And I like that, like committing one way or the other. Don't just half-ass your way into the in the playoffs. Like commit to it, make those moves because inevitably there's somebody else in your league that's going to start or be the only person who has an arms race. And every time you've said it before, somebody, I think all three, four of us has said it in the past. If for every trade that happens that you're not involved with another team's getting better. So if you think your roster is good enough, then you probably need to do something else because there's going to be somebody who's trying to be better than you. And I'm going to take Trey's point as well and explain it in at least the way that I see it is that there are many parts of the season. There is the the preseason, the off season, the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, the end of the season where you have the, the playoffs, right? You need to win in every stage of the season in order to win that championship. So right now, if you're in a startup or if you're drafting for a startup, as Tarek just mentioned, that positional uh it, it it really doesn't matter. You should not worry about filling those holes because in our episode last week when we drafted Tannehill, like we know we're drafting a player that we may trade and we don't know what player that we may not know what player that is that we're going to trade for until uh, later in the season when we're ready to make that move. So that's that's why value it, it holds its value. So if you're worrying about filling those holes early, that's almost kind of like a fool's errand. Uh, you should be right. looking to fill those holes right um, right before that trade deadline if you're going to make that push. Right, right before that playoff push. I love it. All right, guys. I, I loved this second half, this session of Dynasty Players Anonymous where we were vulnerable, exposed our fatal flaws to everyone, and hopefully uh, it'll help not only us become better Dynasty players, but people listening to this podcast. All right, but that's going to do it. That is episode 18 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Adios. Later, guys. Goodbye. Oh, man, I got to pee so bad. Goodbye.